Amen. You may be seated. So if you would, please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. Now Ephesians, they lived in a place called Ephesus. Which means a place desired. And, and so the Ephesians, their name actually means the desired ones. The desired ones. And so that's what we want to speak about uh, probably for the next month. It's not an expository study on the book of Ephesians. But what we're going to do is take some studies and find some studies within the book of Ephesians that might help us understand a little bit more about the operation of truth. And so we're going to read some verses here. Obviously, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. And let me say this. They were the desired ones. Why do you think that is? As we do the studies, we'll, we'll, we'll learn why. Now, who are they desired by? The Lord. Yeah, the Lord. And so because they are desired, they have full purpose. God desires them for a purpose so that they would fulfill a purpose. And in fulfilling the purpose, that gives them purpose. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Look what it says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And I'm going to stop there for the moment. We're going to talk about Ephesians here I think this. I think we'll all learn some things uh, in the study. I know I did, and and honestly, I'm not going to give too much airtime to a heresy. Calvinism is a complete heresy, and some people don't know what it is. It was founded by a man named John Calvin during the Reformation, and it took took hold of a lot of people that thought they had brilliant minds, you know, and. Uh, they studied and thought themselves right out of the truth. You know, you can honestly do that. It's, it's amazing. It's Calvinism. If you've never heard that word, um, we'll, we'll speak of it some. But I, like I said, I want to attend to the truth, not, the, not, the, not error. And so, but let me say a few things about this doctrine of Calvinism. Now, it says in verse one, uh, 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So it's saying God chose you before you ever lived, that's for sure. And before He ever made the earth, God chose you. And then in verse 5, it says, He predestinated us to the adoption of children according to the good pleasure of His will. So they take this, you know, Ephesians is the hotbed, the beginning point and the strong point, even almost more so than even the book of Romans where they get their doctrine. They believe that God is sovereign and man has no free will. They say that man is completely 
incapable of making decisions on his own. God, through his sovereign will, would make and force and cause and lead all these people to make the decisions they're making. And they didn't make them. God made them for them. Because he's sovereign, God chose all things. Now, even to the point where God's choosing some people to go to heaven and others he's choosing to go to hell. And since Jesus said broad is the, is the gate that leadeth to destruction and narrow is the gate that leadeth to life, what they're saying is, is God chose for most of the, the creatures and people that He made to burn in hell forever and ever with no chance. And, and the few. The, it's always the select chosen few. They're the chosen ones. I'm the elect. I'm the predestined one. They, I've never heard a guy yet say to me, you know, God chose for me to go to hell. I know some really sinful people who feel like God wants them in hell because of their lifestyle. It's real interesting. But so Calvinism has some very, uh, we are talking about this last week, in fact, some very disturbing problems that come along with it. Because it has God deciding who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Nobody has a choice. It charges God with being the originator of sin. Because He made man as vessels of wrath. He made them for this purpose. Therefore, He's the originator of sin. And let me go back and say, none of this is true what I'm saying right now. Okay? I'm giving you error right now, and then we're going to talk the truth. It concocts an unjust God who will judge people harshly for fulfilling His will. For doing what He made them to do. How silly. How foolish. You know, the Bible calls some of this a damnable heresy. People go to hell over this. It confuses. This is, this is really it. They confuse what God knows with what God chooses. That's the key to it. It reveals a God who glorifies Himself. None of His creation can bring glory to Him because they have no choice of their own. Therefore, God glorifies Himself all the time. And He's you know, when I first learned the doctrine of Calvinism and heard about it, I said, I did that when I was a child. Now, this is foolish, but some of y'all don't. I did that when I was a child. I had a, a man, an army man set. I always decided who died and who lived. I was a little God. No, I wasn't. But that's how foolish Calvinism is. This the whole belief. You know what it does? It removes all human volition. None whatsoever. Your choices mean nothing. Now, that's hogwash. That's a good word. That's a good, that's a good hondo word, right? Hogwash. One preacher called it poppycock. I don't know if that's a good word or not. It's foolish deception, though, of so-called brilliant minds. Now, so let's talk about what the truth is. And that's, we're going to major on this. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, what, we're not going to look at this, but I, I challenge you to go back. And, you know, the chapter 1, chapter 1 of Ephesians, has this big word in it all throughout the book. And it's um, all throughout the chapter. I found it in there 25 times in one chapter. 
and it's the big word in, I-N. You know, some of, the, some of these smaller words are the biggest ones of all. I'll tell you what the big one is, is if. Everything, you know, if's like a big hinge of a door, you know. If, and, and honestly, the Calvinists once again, they base their whole doctrine on what if. Not what is, what if. What if these things could be? Well, God's, He loves His people. He wants us to know the truth. So what, this word in. See right here, He says in verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. That word in, it's, sure it has a sense of entering. You had to enter to get in Christ. Now they would say you were always in Christ. Forever and ever, eternity past, we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. No, you're entering. But it mainly has to do with the position you are in. I'm in Christ. I'm in Him. And so it's really, really wonderful. So five times in this chapter, it says that we are in Christ. Number one, the first one's right there in, in verse 1. And then the, it's all through here. We'll look at them again. In verse 3, it says that we're in Christ. You see it at the end of the chapter. And then it, it's all through there. So in Christ, let me, let me explain to you what this word means. To, how do you, what does it mean to be in Christ? Now look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. In verse 16, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it says right here that this is Jesus, speaking of Him, that He might, this is verse 16, that He might reconcile both, this is Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. The body. To be in Christ, you're in His body. You're a part of the body of Christ. We are in Him. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 6. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and what? Of the same body. What is it? The body of Christ. And partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. And then chapter 4 verse 4 says there is one body. Christ has one body, one spiritual body, the church. The church of the firstborn, those who are born again and regenerated and they've, they've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, they have entered into Him and become a part of His body. And so the Lord likens it to our body. and It's a spirit body. Jesus is the head, we're the members. My body has a lot of members. And God says, get those members under the head because God's over me and He's my head. You know, but we are all a part of the body of Christ. So we're a part of Him, which means we're in Him, and He is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. So we have true fellowship and oneness. And because of that, because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You know, we always say, believe on Jesus, receive Him into your heart. That's not truly scriptural in itself, but you are believing and receiving Christ, and He does enter into you, so therefore you are in Him, He's in you, we are complete in Him. Colossians 2, verse 10. So let's look, look I want to look at this. So what, the, the key phrase of the night is, in Christ. That's what we're talking about. If you're saved, you're in Him. Now, what hinges on being in Christ? What in, I mean, we've just read a lot of it. 
And, wh and we're going to try to explain some of this. Probably won't finish it tonight by any means. But look here in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So being in Christ... A lot of things are hinged on that or rest upon that. And the first one is that having the, the spiritual blessings of God available to you. You're blessed with them. You can't have that unless you're in Christ. You can't have the blessings of God unless you're in Christ. And the true blessings are God. The Bible, he called them heavenly, heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And, and you know, this, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what this is. But it's all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that Christ gives to us because we are in Him and He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So, what are these spiritual blessings? It's not, I'm loaded, my pocketbook is loaded. It's not that I'm, I'm of ultimate health. No, those are things that are of this earth. That's what people who are of this earth seek. God's people get the thing. The best way to put it is you can enjoy now, obviously to a small extent, what you're going to enjoy in heaven. Joy. People can't have true joy on this earth unless they're in Christ. That's a heavenly blessing that only God's people get. And we're going to have it forever. And ever. The Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. We don't know what full joy is. We're not there yet. When you get in His presence, oh, it's going to be unbelievable, the joy that we're going to have. And it's going to be a joy that lasts forever. You can have some of that now because God imparts joy unto us in, to, because we're in Christ. Peace. These are the things, you know, these are the things that we kind of just, we don't, you know, the, do you know what the most important things that, uh, to what you need more than anything else on this earth? It's these things. Well, every time Paul started a letter to the church, he'd, what did he say to them? You need grace. Grace to you and peace. And sometimes he'd say mercy from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our two greatest needs are grace and peace. And they can only come through Him. They're spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ. But He's allowed us to enjoy some of this on earth even while we are alive on earth. Knowledge is one of those things. Having just the true knowledge of the Bible. Nobody can, get into, can understand the Bible without being in Christ. There's not a person on earth that can stand up here and read Ephesians chapter 1 and explain it to you if they're not born again. It's not possible. You don't get it by human wisdom. I don't get much of it myself. I'm just a little country bumpkin. But God opened some truth to me because I got saved. I'm in Christ. Therefore, I get these spiritual. You know, there's nothing. It's one of the greatest blessings of life is knowing the truth. So the first one is, this, is spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Now look at verse 4. According his, as He hath chosen us in Him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, we're talking on things that hinge on being in Christ. Now, it says, He hath chosen us 
in Him. We are the chosen ones. That's why, that's why you're one of those that are the desired ones is because you're one of the chosen ones. Now choosing is a, is one, is a doctrine that deals with the sovereignty of God. It deals with what He foreknew, not what He forechose, not what He foredid, what He foreknew. Foreknowledge is the beginning point of everything. God knew all things, right? God knew all things. So God knew all things. He knew what you were going to do when you were 10 years old as well as what you're going to do when you're 70 years old. He knows all things. He didn't make you do those things. He knew. And He set some plans forward to those who would do right. And we'll look at this here in just a minute. I think we ought to do a study on every one of these words. So you got the doctrine of choosing. God chose us before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Before time ever existed on this present earth, God chose you. He desires a people to serve Him. That's what He wants. We're the desired ones. He knew you would... I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't help it. He knew you would receive Christ as your Savior. That's why all this came to be. He didn't make you receive Christ as your Savior. He knew you would. It's how simple is that if you just put it together? Choosing concerns service. So according to God's foreknowledge, God selects believers who believed on Him and He what does he do by according to that? He compels them to serve him. You know, there's this, it, it, isn't that interesting that when you're saved, there's just something in you, you want to serve God. You want to please him. You want to be useful. You want to make, you just want to be worthy of a salvation you can't ever possibly be worthy of, but you just have a burning desire. I want to be, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of it. I want to do my part. I want to be my part. Amazing stuff. And, and, and what, what this, and I tell you what, we will study this someday, but when, what that doctrine of choosing means, it goes with calling. And He chose you by name. So He knew your name in eternity past. He knew what your parents were going, going to name you. He knew your name was going to be Bubba. Long ago. And He called you by name. On the day you got saved, you got called you got chosen. It's a beautiful thing. And it hinges on, and all of this uh, hinges on being in Christ. I must hurry. We'll come back to this. Look at verse 5. Here's the tough one. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Sure, it's His will. But predestination hinges on being in Christ. Okay? It does. Being in Christ does not hinge on predestination. Predestination hinges upon being in Christ. So God determines beforehand, this is, and what does it say here? He's, it does not say there, God predestined you to go to heaven. It does not say God predestinated that some people is going to go to hell. What it said is, if you're in Christ, and He's already chosen you in verse 4, it says He's predestinated you to what? The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Now, the doctrine of adoption is a very interesting doc uh, 
it's, a, it's amazing do, uh, doctrine. It culminates in heaven. It says in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now, I'm saved. I'm, I'm a son of God. I, I may not show it. You know, I go down to Walmart and nobody down there might know, unless I tell them, they might not know it. I might not look much different than everybody else, but I know I am one because it, the, it's the treasure in earth and vessels. It's in me. The Spirit of God bears witness that I'm a son of God. And we, not, we know not what we shall be. We know we're the Son of God now, but we don't know what we shall be. But we do know that when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When we get to heaven, we become full sons. That's why it says in John 1.12, As many as believed, uh, received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. It's a power there that you're going to get in heaven being a son of God. What it is, is it's full sonship declared. You know, in, in, uh, in Shemitic culture, Middle Eastern culture, Eastern culture, under the Jewish culture, and, and then also in parts of Europe. Oh, a, a child can be born into a family, has the family name, he's one of the family, but he's not called a son until he becomes a certain age. He's not called a fool. And you know when you, it's getting your, it's, I'm getting ahead of myself, it's when you get your inheritance as a full son. This is my son. I'll, he will inherit the, all things in me and with me. That's what predestination is concerned with. So, uh, one day, when you go to heaven, and the time's right, and you go through the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be declared a true son of God at the Bema seat. And you're going to get an inheritance. And glory will be given out to the child of God. And basically, he's telling the whole earth, he's telling all the universe what he and you already know. I'm a child of God. He's going to make it clear and plain. And you're going to be in the image of Christ. And he's going to say, this is my child and whom my son and whom I'm well pleased. And it says we're joint heirs with Christ. That's what pre predestination, this is what it is. Is God foresees through the annals of history of eternity past. God's been around forever. And he saw this present earth and he saw you. And he saw the day when you would make a choice to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. And when he saw that day when you'd be saved, he said, okay, now that I know, I see that, I'm making the end sure because I've seen the beginning. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is, if you believe on Christ, he knew it ahead of time, long ago, he's already planned we're going to have full sonship in heaven and we're going to all have glorified bodies and we will explain and do, we'll try to do a whole study on predestination in the future. Now, it says in, in Romans 8, 29 that we're pre predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. But it all hinges on being in Christ. And we will come back to that. All right, now look at verse 6. To the praise of His glory. Of his, I'm, I'm, excuse me. For the, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So now we have acceptance. Acceptance in God's family. In the Beloved. His Beloved ones. His dear ones. In the household of faith. 
It says that we will have that and it's the, the, glory, the praise of the glory of His grace. We are accepted into God's family. That happened by you getting in Christ. You, we are the beloved of God. Let's continue. Look at verse 7. It says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So, redemption. Christ died to redeem all. It says that His atonement. Christ atoned for the sins of every man that ever lived, according to the Bible. It says it. All could be redeemed, but only those who are in Christ will benefit true redemption. So redemption has to do with buying back that which was lost and enslaved to sin and in debt to sin. The, the story of the kinsman redeemer, where they bought back family members' property, bodies, and land. Right? Well, that's the same thing, property and land. They could buy it back. They had the money to do it. They were redeeming fallen family members' property. Redemption is the freeing of the captive one and to restore them to position and possession again. That's what redemption has to do. And it's amazing because it says God's uh, grace is so great, He's well able to do it. He's very wealthy with grace. And how did He do that? By His blood. Jesus shed His blood which was the, brought, He paid our redemption with His blood. And what does it say? Even the forgiveness of sins and the debt is paid that you owe God as a sinner. And you got captive to the devil. Like it says in 2 Timothy 2, God remedied all that by sending His Son to die on the cross and shed His blood. Paid the debt. Bought you back. We are redeemed in Christ. But it all hinges on are you in Christ? I only have a few more minutes. Look at verse 8. It says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, I've already kind of explained this, but the knowledge of his will. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You have the knowledge of his will because you're in Christ. You don't get it any other way. You have to be in Christ. It's impossible to get it outside of Christ. No one will ever do the will of God outside of Christ. It's not impossible. And then lastly, number 11. Uh, let's look down at verse 11, which we could spend a lot of time on this. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Now how do we get in this inheritance? Well, you've got to be in Christ. Must be in Christ to have the inheritance. And notice, in God's mind, you've already obtained it. It's already past tense. You've, been, you've obtained this inheritance. God, it's as good as done in God's eyes. So, go back if you... Well, we're here. Let's just stay in chapter 1. And, but let's look at verse 1. So it says we are in Christ. See it? So all of these things that he's about to speak of that are afforded to the believer came because they are in Christ. So now turn to chapter 2. And we already, did we look at this first? No. But we'll look at it again next week. In verse 12 it says that at that time, this Ephesians 2.12, ye were without Christ. So now you have some that are without, some that are within. So we have, you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
It's one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible. Without God in the world. But they're without Christ. They're outside. So you have those that are without. You have those that are within. And so, I got a bug. So think about this. We just saw what all we get. And let me say something to you. There's much, much more. I just barely, I didn't even scratch the surface. But look what they get. They're aliens. They're strangers. There's no hope. They're without God in the world. But then look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. So you, because of the blood shed and the redemption process that happened, you can get in Christ. Now here's how you do it. It's very simple. And notice he says now. It's all about time. So, you know, everything's about timing. Everything. Look at chapter 1. And let's look at this. These people were not eternally in Christ. No, they've got in Christ by doing something. Look what it says in chapter 1 in verse 11. In whom we have attained an inheritance being predestined. There it is again. Testinated, excuse me, according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will, that we should be to the praise of His glory. Who what? First trusted Christ. That's it. All this other happens because you first trusted Christ. Now, some of it happened in eternity past before you trusted Christ, but God knew you were going to trust Christ. Therefore, He set these things in order because God's completely sovereign. And then in verse 13, I like this. This is us. In whom ye also trusted. There you go. I did. After that you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know, God, it's so amazing how if people just look through there and see what it says, it says that you get all of this, but you get in Christ by trusting in Christ. Trusting is something you choose to do. You rest yourself upon Him. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying, we did in verse 12. And then he said, you, you Ephesians never heard the gospel until I showed up. You didn't know you were the desired ones. But I preached the gospel, you believed. It says, you also trusted. And, and once again, time is involved, right? Time is involved. After you heard the word of truth. You had to hear the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. And you trusted Christ. And you got saved. And therefore you went into Christ. Therefore you have all these benefits. You're in rather than being out. It's a wonderful thing. Look what God does for us. So I, I always look at it this way, and I will be finished. You know what God's basically saying? You're gonna, you can have all. You can have everything if you'll trust Jesus Christ. But you've got to do that first. 
You have to trust Him for yourself. You have to take every, the, all the blood, of, the, the blood of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and apply it to your life by receiving Him. Full, full trust on Him and you shall be saved. But it goes down to choice. Right? It goes down to choice. So, I always look at it this way. Even a child can get saved. They hear the gospel. They get under conviction. They get the simple plan of salvation and they believe that for them and they get saved. And it's a very simple thing. And Paul called it the simplicity of Christ. But then you enter into the door and you get in Him and you find a whole universe of truth. And it's deep. And we study it the rest of our lives. I'm still studying. I've been doing this 40 years. I still learn every day of my life about what happened to me when I got saved. The very, it's, and that's what makes the, the, uh, the road so special. It makes the Christian life really wonderful. Not a greater thing than learning new truth. Amen. So that's why you ought to read your Bible and let God teach it to you. The desired ones. God did this. It's an amazing thing. He desired you because He knew you would receive Him. The Ephesians. Amen. All right.